Special thanks to Lee Michimoto for becoming a Southpaw supporter and helping to make this project possible. The global pandemic has hit our day jobs hard. This is now our full-time jobs. If you want great content and can afford a few extra bucks, consider becoming a Southpaw supporter on Patreon. If you want to show everyone else your solidarity, we now have an online store full of Southpaw swag. You can find links to both our store and our Patreon at southpawpod.com. When it comes to left media, we cannot exist without your support. This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Fight Study. UFC on ESPN 8 came and went, and it's the third in the promotions pandemic series. I know that's not what they're officially calling it, but I don't know what else to refer it to. This event also took place in Jacksonville, Florida at the Vistar Veterans Memorial, which makes it the third event within an eight-day time period. I could be wrong, but I don't know if an MMA promotion has ever done that. Even sports like basketball and baseball will alternate locations during playoffs, but to have three in a row at the same place? Even when Pride and K-1 were running tournaments, they wrapped things up in two days, back-to-back, and called it quits. Logistically, what the UFC has pulled off is quite an accomplishment, and massive credit should be given to staff and crew. I would love to heap on more praise, but you know, the whole COVID-19 thing along with people needlessly dying and getting exposed, and not getting paid, keeps me from doing so. In one of the more interesting fights on the card, Claudia Gadelia took on Angela Hill in a strawweight matchup. The strawweight division is easily the most stacked for women in the UFC, without an argument for flyweight, bantamweight, or featherweight. This means that if someone is able to build up a streak within the division, it means significantly more than the other three weight classes. Put it this way, even though women's featherweight is a division, there is no one ranked there. I'm not kidding. Go to the UFC rankings on their own site and you'll see Amanda Nunez listed as a champion and not a single woman is put down under her. Speaking of Nunez, she has wins over the number one and number two ranked contenders at bantamweight and the rest of the division is going to have a difficult time dethroning someone that knocked out Chris Cyborg in under a minute. But then again, bantamweight isn't the only division with an unstoppable champion. Women's flyweight is currently ruled by Valentina Shevchenko, and in her five fights in a division, she has looked nothing less than dominant. This leads us back to strawweights. Despite the depth of the division, women's strawweight isn't the oldest in the promotion. That distinction belongs to bantamweight, the weight class that Ronda Rousey and Liz Carmouche ushered in. So far, there are only four weight classes for women in the UFC. 115, 125, 135, and 145. Out of these four, only the 115 exists solely for women, since there are corresponding men's weight classes for flyweight, 
bantamweight, and featherweight. It could be that much like the lower weight classes for men's MMA, women's MMA also has more complete fighters the further down you go in size. Instead of being able to get by with one or two specialties, a deeper skill set, or at least bag of tricks, is needed to succeed in the strawweight weight class. Consider the woman competing at 115 pounds. Joanna Jonjecic, Rosnama Younes, Jessica Andraj, and the current champ, Zhongwei Li. Each offer a compelling skill set and have distinct styles that are totally different, but effective all the same. It's also the only weight class where you look at the rankings and can get excited about potential matchups. One of them being Gadelia versus Hill. The fight itself was pretty exciting and back and forth, so let's give the respect it deserves and break it down. In the first round, there were a lot of fainting and shuffling from Hill, who cornered Gadelia and moved her towards the fence. This has been present in most of Hill's recent fights, and it's good to see that she hasn't abandoned the partner that got her to the dance. Unfortunately for Hill, she also seems to have kept one of her bad habits of staying stationary after throwing her right hand. If Hill can finish off her one-twos with a hook to the body or head, it can do wonders for her. We saw in the last UFC pay-per-view, whenever Justin Gaethje ended his combinations with a left hook or threw it as a counter, he hurt Tony Ferguson and was able to move away without sacrificing mobility and foot placement. It allowed him to hurt him without scoring up his hips. Gadelia's training with Mark Henry definitely showed in the early moments of this fight, as her jabs are crisp and catch Hill as she comes in without minding her distance and faints. Whenever Hill pressured Gadelia by moving forward instead of setting up her footwork, she ate crisp jabs and hooks for her troubles. Towards the end of the first round, Gadelia is able to get Hill to the ground. It's a testament to Hill's improvement that she's able to survive. She used to get ragdolled to the ground by the likes of Carla Esparza, but is now able to defend takedowns and work her way back up to the feet while defending submissions. Scooting back to the fence to turtle and wall walk back up is a good combination of what Nick Diaz and Robert Whitaker do whenever facing superior grapplers who want to hold them down. The fence is an excellent ally whenever you want to cover a side and prevent someone from sinking in a hook or spinning around your back. It's clear that the takedowns and higher volume of strikes won this round for Gadelia. The moment the second round starts, something seems off. Right away, Gadelia is a bit more flat-footed and has trouble with the in-and-out movements of Hill. This culminates in Hill dropping Gadelia with the right cross. The punch lands so hard, it spun Gadelia before she hit the canvas. Hill also feeds Gadelia the lead leg whenever pressuring Gadelia. So if she does attempt another takedown, it'll be a single leg that's easier to defend. If that strategy sounds familiar, it's because Jose Aldo uses it all the time against grapplers. Why square up and give them your hips when you could just bait them with one leg? Another low-energy move that Hill loves using are stutter step movements to throw off the timing of Gadelia, who would whiff at air whenever she thought Hill would be close enough to get hit. Great strikers are able to lure you into anticipating a false movement and attacking early so that they can catch you off guard. Valentina Shevchenko in particular is great at the setup, and she was able to trick Joanna Jonjecic multiple times by presenting false movement and distance. Hill's ability to stay on the feet came down to many different tools 
that she obviously spent time sharpening, pummeling for underhooks, dropping her weight against the fence and reversing position, framing Gadelia's head with her forearms, and sticking her forehead into Gadelia's jaw. It's strangely reminiscent of all the changes that Israel Adesanya made when he got into UFC. The difference is that Adesanya got much better at takedown defense at an accelerated rate, while it took Hill a bit longer. But hey, everyone's journey is different, right? It's odd seeing Gedalia get outstruck in the second round, and not just because Hill is the busier fighter with the more varied striking arsenal. In round one, Gedalia's jabs were fast and kept Hill from advancing too much, but a lot of that disappeared in the second round. It's unclear if the attempted takedowns or knockdown affected her gas tank. Hill actually wasn't targeting the midsection too much up to this point, so it's not from the body shots. Perhaps just like Chris Weidman, Gadelia has a 7-minute window where she peaks. This is odd considering this problem wasn't prevalent in the random Marcos fight. There's a strong possibility that this could be more mental than physical, and if things don't go her way, she could be suffering from mental fatigue. Another bad habit of Hill that does surface again is leaning into her left side whenever she punches, and Gedalia catches her with straights and left hooks even without looking because she could tell which way Hill's head will fall towards. With the solid Muay Thai background, it's odd to see Hill of all people suffer from this tendency. Surprisingly, Hill didn't start letting the kicks go until the second round. It could be the fear of giving Gedalia easy takedowns, but this worry is largely unfounded. McGregor threw a barrage of front kicks to Chad Mendes, and even though he got taken down, they weren't off these kicks. Front kicks are hard to time if you're trying to catch them, and because they come at you so fast into your stomach, they're great at maintaining distance and draining the gas tank. In the third and final round, things came down to the wire. Whenever Hill threw hooks to the body and goes on top afterwards, she had success. Gedalia attempted singles with very little commitment. Most of the time, it only got Hill to step back and not actively defend with sprawls. As they exchanged in the pocket, it's fascinating to see the contrast in priorities. Hill fired off as many punches as she can at different targets, whereas Gedalia visibly lowered her levels to add more power into her strikes. An underrated tool of Hill that I wish she used more of is her intercepting elbow. It comes upwards and slams into Gadelia's face every time she got in too close. There is a blink and you'll miss it moment in the last two minutes, and it's when Gadelia shoved Hill backwards towards the fence after throwing a jab. It looks funny, but if properly disguised, it's a sneaky way to throw someone off balance and keep them from countering. It's so effective that Giorgio Petrosian uses it quite often, but he's so fast that opponents don't notice and the referee don't have time to warn him of the infraction. Since we're talking about kickboxing, let's take a moment to appreciate Gedalia's kicking game. Gedalia's kicks aren't pretty, but they do damage. She's able to hurt Hill and keep her in place whenever she threw inside and outside low kicks. They're not as nice as Yonjechik or Shevchenko's, but they don't need to be, especially if the goal is just to keep someone standing still. When it was all said and done, Gedalia won the fight by split decision. It wasn't the worst scorecard in UFC history, let alone strawweight, and the action was close enough that it honestly could have gone either way. What does make everything more interesting are the potential future matchups. Gedalia may have gotten the W, but it's not as if it's smooth sailings from here. 
Entering the fight, Hill was ranked number 15 in the division, and she just had given the number 6 ranked fighter an extremely close fight. Right above Gadelia, excluding the champion, only Rosama Yunez and Tatiana Suarez haven't crossed paths with her. As for everyone else, they have a win over Gadelia, meaning if she wants another title shot, she's going to have to even the score with the former opponent or try her luck against Nama Yunez or Suarez. Hill lost a close decision, but the future still looks bright for her. If she could tweak a few more things in her game, she could be a problem for anyone in the top 5. As for now, there are some fun fights that can be made that are appropriate given her ranking. Alexa Grasso and Felice Herrig are fun striking matchups, and both ladies are coming off losses as well. Amanda Rivas is also looking like she could be someone to look out for in the division, and a fight against Hill could serve as a good barometer for her skill set. Even if you're not a huge fan of women's MMA in general, the strawweight division is definitely worth your attention. It has exciting fighters, fun personalities, and intriguing style matchups. Plus, with legitimately talented competitors that could be champion on any given night, why wouldn't you want to tune in? Now that's the show. If you enjoyed this episode and find this type of independent media worthwhile, please consider supporting the show on Patreon. We have a lot more episodes like this one in the works, but need your financial support to keep the show running. Even a few dollars a month goes a long way. No one does what we do, and it's all being funded by you, the listener. In return for supporting us, you'll gain access to lots of bonus content and along with our private Discord chat. Even if you can't support us, there's a lot of free bonus content there as well. We also have an online store if you want to show your Southpaw solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. And if you can't afford to support the show and still want to help, please leave us a 5-star review wherever you listen. This makes it easier for others to find us. And don't forget to share your favorite episodes or the podcast itself on social media. Tell your friends. Until next time, goodbye.